If you have a Bible this morning, I'd like to invite you to go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 to 6 in just a couple of minutes. And you might be thinking, Steve, you got your events mixed up. John 14, 1 to 6 is what you would read at a funeral, not on Mother's Day. Just stick with me, okay? And again, as I said earlier, I do want to say again a happy Mother's Day to all of you as moms and grandmas. And I do, I, you know, some of you probably look at me, I, I feel very bound up here in my shirt and tie. I do this for my mom, and my mom and dad are watching, so mom, I love you. Happy Mother's Day to you, and see, I wore my tie, because um, they're in lockdown in Nova Scotia, so they're not able to have services, so they're tuning in. And so a warm welcome to all of our online audience as well. But I do love the fact that we still live in a culture that actually sets aside a day for us to say, let's celebrate motherhood. Let's talk about it. And so, so many things could be said of mothers and to mothers. The time and energy of motherhood, the late nights, and the countless diapers changed, runny noses, the, un, the innumerable feedings and meals and packed lunches, the boo-boos kissed and the fevers and the foreheads tended to. Mom and moms, you love and give of your life. You give of your body. You give of your heart to your children. But I think the other great and amazing thing about motherhood is that it's so strong, it is so vast, so deep, that it doesn't represent so much more than just a woman biologically giving birth. Of course, every mom knows this. Mother's Day holds a lot of different emotions for people. It's not always an easy day, especially for those who struggle to become a mom and sometimes aren't able to, or those who have lost their moms. And already this morning, I've seen many tweets and uh, Facebook posts of those remembering a mom lost. And being a mom looks different for so many people, doesn't it? There are natural moms, there are stepmoms, there are adoptive moms, there are single moms and foster moms. And the truth of the matter is, for all of you, whatever mothering looks like, I do want to take the time, and I think it's right for us to do this on this day in 2021, to say thank you and let you know that God sees you. God sees you trying. He sees you showing up every day, even though you feel exhausted. God sees you making tough choices for your family, even when you're not sure if they are the right choices. God sees you working tirelessly, even when it seems like a mom's job is never done. And I want you to know, even as we start this morning, that God is with you and sees even though you might doubt yourself, because it's not only okay to have both strength and weaknesses as a mom, it's normal. And it's why God sent his son, Jesus Christ. Now, moms are as varied as they are women. Some are good at playing games. Others are great listeners. Some can cook incredibly, and others are great encouragers. And you don't have to be everything every day to your kids. In fact, you can't be. As a mom, you are not perfect. You will make mistakes. You will forget things. You will lose your cool and sometimes even go a little crazy. But that's why John 14, 1 to 6, is important for all of our moms today. 
Because God's soft and gentle message to you today as moms is this. God says, I sent Jesus to live for you and to die for you and to rise from the dead for you. Jesus knows you. Jesus knows your children. Jesus lives right now as your advocate, mom. Jesus intercedes for you. And so my challenge in the very beginning of this is for moms to be patient with yourself. I want you to know that you're a daughter of God. You are beautiful before God. You are made in the image of God. And you are called to nothing more than to reflect that to your children. Nothing more, nothing less. Rest on this Mother's Day of 2021. Only working at showing your family how amazing God is. And don't be afraid to tell your, tell your kids that you're not enough, but that God is. And that's what you cling to. And for now, everybody else here as well, I don't know what you're going through. But now let me switch gears a little bit from motherhood exclusively to one of the great things I think we all think about in regards to moms and dads and family. And that's like the idea or the subject matter of home, having a home. I think more than anybody, moms love their homes. They want to make a home. They love to have their families around them at home. Family meals, family events, Christmas gatherings, Easter celebrations, birthday. And then there's all the firsts, right? Those first steps, the first day of school, the first day of college, and on and on it goes. And then there are those special days, graduations, acceptance to university, that first drive, that first date. Countless occasions where, Mom, you've watched your kids leave, but almost right away, you want them to come back home. You love it when they bring their friends, and then there's that special friend that they introduce you to. You love it when they come home when they are hurt and when they have failed. There's wedding days and accomplishments. And mom, you love to have your kids know they can always come home, that you'll be there for them, that the door is never locked for them, that they'll never have to wonder if they're allowed to come back home. And then for some of you, there's the joy of grandbabies. And all that and so much of being a mom is actually centered around home. And not only that, but when you want your daughter or son to create a home, you want them to create a home like they've known. In fact, Adam was telling me this week that he saw a post on Facebook this week that said they asked a group of moms, what phrase do they love more than even I love you? And many of the moms said, love hearing the words, I'm home. Now, I'm not naive. I don't want to, for those of you online or here, I'm not trying to say that motherhood is like a Norman Rockwell painting, all right? I'm not at all saying that we don't have all kinds of pains and ups and downs and struggles. And for some of you, maybe even nightmares, tragedies. There's not enough time on this Sunday morning for me to walk through all the tensions and setbacks any parent, and on this day, a mom can face. And that's why I have titled my sermon this, out of John chapter 14, 1 to 6, Moms, point your kids to their ultimate home. Because their ultimate home is better than even your home. I want you to get that. It's also why dads, 
I want to talk to you this morning. I want to talk to the men and women who are here, to the young people and the older people. I want to talk to every one of you that on some level longs for home, wishes maybe you had a home, longs for your home to be more of a home. In fact, in John chapter 14, verses 1 to 6, Jesus' message to every one of us today is beyond, well, beyond just moms. It's for every one of us who's fighting the fight. No matter what you're feeling, no matter what you're experiencing, no matter what you're going through, Jesus tells us actually in John 14 that we need to start with the end of life as a means to know how to live in the present of your life. The key to calming a troubled heart is this, faith, trust in and on Jesus this is what I talked to you about last week from John chapter 13, 21 to 14, 1, right? When Jesus goes to his disciples and he basically says, okay, I'm going to be betrayed. You're going to face betrayals. By the way, I'm leaving and you're going to feel alone. And then Peter, you're going to deny me. So in other words, every one of you is going to be weak. And then Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Piles up the bad news. And like I said last week, you see, the issue we have in 2021, I was reading a great article early this morning and said the problem with Christendom is Christendom itself in North America. You see, it's easy to say, I believe in Jesus. It's quite another thing to believe Jesus. And I think this is what James was getting at, that Matthew was preaching through. When James says, you believe in God? Great, you do well. Even the demons believe in God and shudder. But he says there got to be more than just belief in God. It must be belief on God. So today, on this Mother's Day, I challenge you moms to point your kids to the home that Jesus is preparing, that Jesus has prepared. And I do challenge everybody else, me and us, all of us to see that trusting Jesus with the end of your life actually helps you live Today, from the youngest of you to the oldest of you, no matter what you're going through. See, again, I'll say it. John 14, 1 to 6, I actually think is a great disservice when we only read it at funerals. It's actually less about funerals and more about living. For if you want to have this calm heart in this chaotic world, the ability to deal with life today on May the 9th of 2021, this passage is for all of us. So I want you to let me read it. And let's not go to a funeral. Let's go to the living. Let's think about how you're going to live the rest of this day, how you're going to enter into this coming week, all right? This is God's word. Jesus says to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So how, how are you going to do that? Look at where he starts. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. And watch this, that where I am, you may be also. And then he says an interesting verse here in verse four. He says to them collectively, to the 11, now Judas isn't there, and you know the way to where I am going. Now watch what happens. Thomas comes into it in verse five. Thomas said to him, Lord... We do not know where you are going. In fact, how can we know the way? What are you talking about? And Jesus said to him, 
basically to Thomas and the other 10, I am the way, Thomas. I am the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. So if you want to take notes, here's what I want to take, you want to go with, okay, today. Number one, Jesus says the way that you can have a calm heart in 2021 is first and foremost, remember that Jesus is preparing us an eternal home. He's preparing us an eternal home. I find it fascinating. I counsel a lot of people. I get a lot of emails and texts and visits and phone calls and all of these things. People are hurting. People are scared. People are tense. There's struggles with depression, families, marriages, government, churches, you name it. There's struggles. And very few times have I thought when someone comes to me to go to the end of life. But that's exactly where Jesus goes. People would have been probably in range somewhere between their mid-20s to their early 40s. And Jesus is telling a group of people that probably weren't considering the end of their life, that if they want to have a calm heart and a perspective, they got to go there. And he does that by saying, listen, guys, I know that I've talked about betrayals. I know you're going to feel alone. I know that you're going to be weak, but I don't want you to let your hearts be troubled. And I love this. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. Now, this is where I do appreciate the ESV. Now, some of you might have a King James Bible. Some of you might have a New King James. And this is actually where this translation has got us into trouble a little times. Because in the King James Bible, it used to say, in my father's house are many mansions. Right. Do you ever wonder? That's where we got that old Southern gospel song, right? I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. Right. And so all of a sudden, I don't know about you, but for you young people, I was raised in church and often... It would be described that my place in heaven was like this big palace and it was all mine. And I used to imagine what kind of a palace it would be and all of these things. And believe it or not, not to pop bubbles, but I think that's to totally miss what Jesus is saying here. Because it's not about you and I and big mansions and big homes. Jesus is saying, listen, guys, I know you're discouraged. I know you're scared. I know you're feeling overwhelmed. I know you're tired. I know you're confused. And I want you to realize the preparation of what I'm doing for you and your destination and what Jesus is offering first is this. I'm going to prepare a place for you and me to be together and never apart again. The gospel is what makes heaven heaven. I go to prepare a place for you. What he's basically reminding them is what's going to happen over the next 18 hours when I am betrayed and I suffer and I die on the cross and I am buried. All of these things is preparation for the greatest redemption story humanity has ever known and will always need. And for that is how you and I can actually use this passage to help us in our, right, in our lives in the right here and now. Moms, this will help you as you seek to point your kids to Jesus. Dads and singles, young and old, male and female, you need to realize Jesus wants you to think about the end of your life to know how to live the reality of your present life. He begins by telling the disciples of their inheritance He invites them to visualize and embrace the blessings offered to the children of God. He says, remember all the things. Remember this. 
every Christian, man or woman, slave or king in this world has a place to dwell with God. The focus of John 14 is not merely a place. It's not merely about mansions. It's about a person. It's about Jesus. Because notice what he says. In my father's house are many rooms. And by the way, and this is a freebie. This is what makes Christianity different for all of you young people that are out there in school and universities and community colleges and you're trying to talk to your friends and they're saying, why do you think this Christianity stuff is real? Why why can't I be this or why can't I be that? This is what separates Christianity from Islam and from every other religion and philosophy in the world because it's only in Christianity where the greatest power we know, God himself, says my desire is to have my creation dwell with me for eternity. Every other philosophy and deity known to human history will give you all kinds of hoops to jump through, but at the end, you never get to the deity. This is the intimacy of God. It's in my father's house. And just like my parents are watching, and I know even though I'm almost 50 years old, I would never go to their house and knock on a door because I know it's my mom and dad's house and I'm their son and I'm allowed to walk in because they're my parents. Can you imagine Jesus is telling them, listen, even though you might feel betrayed or confused or tired or hurt, even though you're going to go through times where you feel alone and maybe even abandoned, even though you're struggling for friends and acceptance and all of these things, Jesus wants them to know from the very beginning, God loves you. He's prepared a place for you and you will always be at home with him. I don't know about you, but that's beautiful. And then he says this rhetorical question. Look at verse 2. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? He literally looks at these 11 and says, have I ever lied to you? Would I now make this stuff up? When you are in your greatest need, when you are at your greatest sense of fear, would I literally promise something that isn't true? This is the very first test of actually verse 1. You believe in God, believe also in me. So Jesus says, look, would I say I have a place for you and that even though you're facing all of these betrayals on the outside, you're struggling with your weaknesses on the inside and the the thought of not seeing me and that you're going to have to deal with life without me is in your line of sight. I want to ask you this. Will you cling to me with this thought? I am with you. I have a place for you. I've got a plan for you and you can trust me. But notice what he does next. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now, that's not a contradiction, nor did Jesus get over, over so overwhelmed that he made a mistake because he says, in my father's house are many rooms. That sounds like it's already done. And then he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Again, this is making them understand that even though Judas has betrayed them, that each man is speaking, will run away and hide. He's letting them know, I will not abandon you. 
I want you to comfort you with this. I'm going to go and prepare for this reality. I will go suffer for you. I will bear all of your sin, past, present, and future. Jesus is actually comforting the disciples. He's assuring the disciples. He's caring for the disciples. And he promises to always do that. How? Through the cross, through his death, through his resurrection. That term going... I'm going to prepare a place for you in our passage. That's one of John's favorite ones. And it's actually the final journey of the mission. You see, it's not just the cross and the resurrection. He's also talking about the ascension. So now Jesus is reigning. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He is our advocate, your propitiation, your intercessor. So here's the thing. He says, I'm leaving you, but you'll never be left alone. You won't see me, but I'm always with you. Jesus loves you so much. Moms, dads, people, listen. He loves you so much. His suffering obedience pays for your sin, gives us all of his righteousness and goodness, and he's going to prepare a way. He means God will now say, if you trust me, you're my son. You're my daughter. And then as Ephesians chapter 2 says, we become the poetry of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, right? And you are his workmanship. The Greek word for workmanship is poema, where we get our English word for poetry. So when we trust in him, we become the poetry of God. And it's why we put on our armor. It's why we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith in Hebrews chapter 12. It's why we come to God in Hebrews 4, before the throne of grace. And then what's more is when this, not only this, Jesus is coming to take us home with him. He's not only gone to prepare us an eternal place, he's coming home to take us home with him. Look at verse 3. Look, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Moms, you want to know how to rise above the chaos of 2021? Men and women, you want to know how you thrive in the uncertainty of the world around you right now? Is when Jesus presses this logic even further in verse 3, and he wants his disciples to draw a conclusion. He's basically saying, look, I am leaving so I can provide a departure for you as well. I am going to go so that you can know you're coming with me. Where I'm going, you are going to come. Now, be honest, for all the moms in the room and online, and for all of you of parents, be honest for a minute. Who of you wouldn't want to be able to say that to your children? I'm going to go, but I'm going to come and get you, and you're going to be with me forever. You see, I don't know a parent that isn't willing to say that. But when we have to walk through the harsh reality of life, we might be willing, but we're not able. And this is why. This is why you need to point your kids to Jesus. This is why you need to point them to their ultimate home. You see, parents, let me tell you something here. Be a parent to your children, not a savior to your children. There's too much pressure in that. Okay, 
Listen to me now. The verse right here is what separates us once again. God loves us. Jesus is so our Savior. The Spirit of God so indwells us that our Father not only wants, He desires us to be with Him. And that's what's going to make heaven glorious. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 2, John would write this to a, in a letter. He'd say, Dear friends, now are we children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, I love this. John Don says this concerning this reality. I shall be so like God, (laughs) listen carefully now, that the devil himself shall not know me from God. Let me say that again. You're going to be so like God that the devil himself will not know you from God. He'll, be not, he'll not be able to tempt you any more than he can tempt God, nor will he be any more of a chance of my falling out of the kingdom than of God being driven out of it. That's how secure this calling you home with him is. Don't miss this. Verse 3 is the clearest example of a statement regarding Jesus' second coming in all the Gospels. He declares the truth that the church has long proclaimed. Jesus is promising that he is the good shepherd and he's going to come and gather his sheep as children. And he promised that back in John 10. And since he's done that, in the beginning, he was in the beginning, John chapter 1, he's had this entire plan which won't let your heart be troubled. Believe in this as one commentator puts it. This truth is is not merely something which we wait for expectantly. It's something for which we live purposefully. This is what motivates you. Just as Jesus promises a future coming, he is also explaining his leaving is not really a leaving at all. And verse 4 is grounded in this very personal thing. He says, and the where I'm going, you know the way. And I believe this might be why the preacher of Hebrews says what he does. In Hebrews chapter 13, he says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So what does that mean? Then we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. Now, why or how would you do this? Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So John chapter 14, verse 3 and 4, Jesus is really speaking of a place, yes, the where, but the most important factor is he's speaking of a person, the who. And it's for this reason that Jesus will make clear in the verses to follow that God is present even when we think he's absent. You are never alone. You are never alone. Moms, you're never alone. Dads, you're never alone. Young people, you are never alone. And that's why he says, you can know the way. Now watch what happens though, because finally, Jesus is the way home to God, our Father. So Jesus is preparing us an eternal home. Jesus is going to come take us back to that eternal home. But he's going to take us back to that home as to God as our Father. I love how Thomas does this. He basically, in verse 5, says, Jesus, I, which means we, don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way to come to you? Now look at how Jesus responds to Thomas. He says to Thomas, Thomas, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I want to ask you a question for everybody here this morning. Who's Jesus talking to? His disciples? Yes. Somebody not ahead, right? There it is. He's not talking to unsaved people. He's not talking to the world. He's not talking to people that don't believe in him. He's talking to his 11 disciples. This is what he says to them. So listen, I don't know why we keep using John 14, 6 as an evangelism verse. It's a discipleship verse. It's a how to let your heart not be troubled verse. You see, this is what he does. See, Jesus is speaking directly to every one of you. He is saying to you, young Christian, older Christian, mom, dad, I am the way. When you are struggling, when you feel alone, when you're tired, when you don't understand the circumstances of your life, when you feel aimless, when you wonder what's your purpose, when you wonder, am I going to find somebody to love me? Will I find and pass my, my, my courses? Will I graduate? Will I get my license? Will my life mean anything? Whatever it is, Jesus says, hey, I am the way, the truth, and the life. C.S. Lewis said, you may forget that you are at every moment totally dependent on God. And this is why Jesus what he says what he does. It's why moms, you need to recite John 14, 6 to yourself every day. Husbands, you need to say this to yourself and to your wives every day. Dads and singles and grandparents, because I guarantee that every day you will think, Lord, what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? How am I going to get through this day? What choice do I make? Lord, where are you? What should I do? Where do I go? How do I respond to this? And I love Thomas. I know we call him Doubting Thomas. I actually think we should rename him. I think we should call him Honest Thomas. Because he actually says what we're all thinking and feeling. Lord, I'm scared. I'm unsure. Lord, I believe you, but, but then I doubt. I know what I've seen you do and say. I know what I've read in my Bible. I know what I learned in Sunday school. I know what I learned at youth group. I know what I, my parents taught me. I, I know all these things, but I sometimes wonder. And now you're telling me that I've got to handle this without you? Where are you going? How will I know? For you ladies, Jen Michelle Pollock has written a book recently called The Habit of Faith. Listen to this. She writes, I don't want to give the impression that the life of faith is easier than a life without faith. No. There are still haunting worries that rouse believers from sleep. Still regrets we nurse from the past. Still the ever-present harrow or scare, uh, fear of death. We can feel small in this world and frightened by our smallness. The invitation of Jesus of faith isn't to pretend that we aren't big, bad, scary wolves. 
that life can't wreck with a sudden change of weather, that we don't feel angry or sad or disappointed, even occasionally abandoned. But the invitation to faith is to say that we keep at the habit of believing the improbable. We're not left or forsaken. God is with us by faith. We keep believing that we're the friend of God. Is that not powerful? See, Thomas' question provides the opportunity for Jesus to make one of the most well-known statements in all of Scripture. Thomas, I'm the way. I'm the way. And by the way, it's not I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. It's not set or st- uh, stacked up. It's elliptical. Jesus said, Thomas, I'm the way for you to know truth, for you to know life. I'm the way you get to God as Father. That's how you'll know the way. Jesus is telling them and us, that you believe in God, believe in me. I'm the one to look to. Just like Adam and Eve were to follow God in the garden, and Abraham trusted God, and Moses led Israel as they followed God. Jesus was not just the way. He is the way to truth. Remember what he told the woman at the well in John 4? You've got to worship me in spirit and in truth. In other words, you've got to worship me because I am truth. And he goes, I am the life. Now, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. This is the tell of John's purpose statement. This is why he says in John chapter 20, verse 30, that Jesus did all these other signs in the midst of the disciples. But these are written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ. That's him saying, Jesus is the way. He's the way to truth. He's the way to life. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. I love this. One man says, Jesus destroys the wall that divides humanity from God. And he denies the falsehood that distorts humanity in relation to God. And he defeats the last and greatest enemy of humanity, death. And this is why he says what he does. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I want you to catch this, especially for you young people, as you're out there in the world and people are asking, because some people will read this verse, some of your friends, and they're going to say, that's not fair. Why is Jesus being so particular? But for the Christian, this is how you trust Jesus. This will calm you. Because Jesus offers salvation. It's the most universal offer to humanity that humanity has ever known. Anybody can come and is invited to come to Jesus. As I've said before, I've never met the sinner who came to Christ who God didn't want. But the word accept also means that Jesus is saying this is the most exclusive offer in the history of the world. Because you can only get to God as Father through Jesus. But that's amazing news. We are all sinners. We are all broken. We are all unable. And young people, listen to me. Movies lie. And you lie to yourself, and Satan lies to you, and the world lies, because we all face death. And yet here on this Mother's Day of 2021, with COVID all around us, and the struggle is so real... 
that we want to love and support and help our kids. We long for peace in a chaotic world. We want to think, and you got to realize, God sent Jesus to live and die and to rise and ascend and now rules and reigns, and he looks upon us and has come to us and become flesh and blood like us so that we can actually have a way to God as Father, and that's Jesus. And mom, is there a greater comfort for you? Is there a greater truth for you not to share with all your children? Is there a greater example to let them see you living right here and right now that Jesus is the way? You see, parenting is not about success or failure. Parenting is about faithfulness. Will you show your kids Jesus? Jesus is the only way. He's the way to truth and he's the way to life. And again, I want you to see, he starts with these promises. He starts when they're troubled, when they're confused and they're scared and they're nervous, he begins there. It's like that book that some of you have read on Ecclesiastes called Living Life Backwards. He will now talk to them in the next few weeks as I preach the next after this. Then he gets into the nitty gritty of life. He'll talk to them about how to relate to each other. He'll talk to them about how to stand before opposition. He'll talk to them about what to do when they don't know what to say or where to turn. But before he gets into any of that, he starts with, I love you. I've prepared a place for you. I'm going to come get you. I'm never going to leave you. And I'm the way for you to know that you can get to God. So no matter what you're facing, there's a way. By the way, young people, that's why Solomon at the end of Ecclesiastes in Solomon 12, or sorry, Ecclesiastes 12, when he wants to sum up life, you know what he says? I want you to find God in the days of your youth. Live life backwards. Live life backwards. Jesus tells us in John 14, 1 to 6, know who I am where I am going, what I am doing, and it's all for your benefit. And then trust me, follow me. So mom, as you change a diaper today, sing Jesus loves you to your little infant. As you take your children to the park and you feed the ducks and they see the water and they hear it, remind them that God created all of these things for his glory. As you teach them how to speak and run and tie their shoes and ride their bike and do their homework, teach them that it pleases God and it's how they'll discover him more. And when they learn how to drive or play or win or lose, let them know that God loves them and has prepared a place for them because it will actually give them perspective and watch how that calms you and changes them. And then you're preparing them for their ultimate home. So moms on this day, point your kids to Jesus, pray them to Jesus, sing to them about Jesus, love the church because it's the bride of Christ. And that will help them read the Bible as the truth of Jesus, show them how you trust and the joy and life that you have in Jesus. And most of all, give them Jesus. By giving them to Jesus. And this applies to all of us, by the way. For Jesus is the only way to know truth. 
It's the only way for you to have life and to be calm, to have meaning and perspective, to know your value, and might I add your beauty. And again, I love Thomas because he says, I'm confused, so I'll go to Jesus. I don't understand, so I'll go to Jesus. See, John 14, 1 to 6 is the cure for a troubled heart. Jesus refers not merely to belief itself, Christianity does not teach the mere power of positive thinking. Jesus reminded his disciples that they have a God to believe in. A.W. Pink elaborates, he says, God is possessed of infinite power, wisdom, and goodness. So he shows you what is best for you. And he makes all things work together for your good. He is on the throne, ruling amid the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. So that none can stay his hand. I wonder if this is what David figured out when he wrote in Psalm 42. When he actually asks himself. Psalm 42, you're actually reading his own personal journal. When David says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? In answer to his troubled soul. This is what David reminded himself. Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. David got John 14, 1 to 6 before Jesus ever said it. So don't wait to have John 14, 1 to 6 read at your funeral. Rather, let it be your anthem for living now. Knowing and trusting that Jesus calms you now. And if there's anyone here or online, a mom or a dad, a man or a woman... I want you to know this. Christ came that you may have life. So will you come to him right where you are? Christ came that you would have this so you can come now. Jesus doesn't require you to do anything. In fact, let me be honest. What could you do even if you wished you could do something? There's nothing to do except receive him by faith. There's nothing to achieve. There's no improvements to be made, no lessons to be learned. Just believe on, not in, on Jesus. Accept him for what he claims to be. He's your way to God. He is your truth about God. He is the life of God. Jesus did not say, I am one of an indefinite number of equally valid ways to God. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So moms, on this Mother's Day, oh, have a great time today. Many of you will go home and celebrate with your family. But point your kids to their ultimate home, the one that God is preparing. And for every one of us here, no matter what you're facing today, begin with, God has a place for you in his house and he's coming for you. And Jesus Christ is the person whom you lean on and trust to go to him. And finally, parents, be a mom and a dad, not a savior. And by the way, young people, be a friend, not a savior. 
We can't be anyone's savior. But we can all point each other to our savior. And it will change our lives. Let's pray. Well, Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for John 14, 1 to 6. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I do know there's no way there's not some uncertainty in this room, some doubts and questions of people online, those that are hurting or searching, doubting or questioning. Maybe there's a mom who feels inadequate, a marriage that is fighting for survival, families that are barely holding together. Maybe some look like they've got it all together. We play house very well. We play church very well. But deep down inside, we want to ask what Thomas asked. Lord, where are you? What am I supposed to do? How do I make sense of life? How do I trust you with my kids or my life? How do I trust you with my education or a job or money? How do I trust you, Lord, with my relationships? How do I trust you with my parents or my church? And your answer is always the same. I have lived and died and rose again for you. I rule and reign for you. I've prepared a place with God for you, and I'm going to be with you and come and get you. And I'm the way to truth and life. Help us, Lord Jesus, to see this. Oh God, help me to preach what I practice and practice what I preach. And if anyone needs prayer or help here or online, may they feel safe and welcome to come and ask. In Jesus' name, amen.